everybody, and welcome to the Industrial Sourcing Podcast. My name is Anne-Sophie. I'm the CEO of Ravacan. If you're a buyer of direct materials and components and you want to step up your game with powerful software, reach out to us on ravacan.com. R-A-V-A-C-A-N.com. Also, if you want to talk with me on the show and share what you know about direct sourcing, please reach out. I will leave a link with a sign-up form in the description of this episode. I'm really excited about today's guest because it's going to hit on so many notes. I know many of you are interested in startups and wondering how can I work at a startup or how to build a sourcing team from the ground up. Well, our guest today is going to share so many good tips. Jean-Charles Vasquez, also known as JC here in the US, is a friend of mine and a tremendous sourcing professional. He worked for many years at L'Oreal, one of the companies with the best practices in purchasing in the world. Then he moved to Silicon Valley and worked at a startup developing and managing beauty products for celebrities and designers who want to launch their own line. The startup has been very successful and has grown to 600 employees. Part of the success is for sure due to the quality and reliability of their supply chain. And JC was the first employee in sourcing and he built the whole sourcing and supply organization. So let's see how he did it. Hi, Jesse. How are you? Hi, Anne Sophie. Very good. Very happy to be here with you. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you on the show. I'm very excited to hear about your background and uh, how you ended up in the, the US. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, it's been 10 years, I guess. We met, uh, you know, at the MIE together. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, time, time flies, definitely. Um, so yeah. maybe my, a little bit of, a bit of, about my background. So I, uh, I was in, not initially actually. I don't know if you know that, but I was not uh, planned to do purchasing. You know, in my career, I was uh, doing some uh, engineering, um, and I thought I was going to be uh, in the aerospace industry. Um, I thought I was going to uh, spend time to do math most of the time, you know. And so I uh, eventually uh, find out myself in the MIE. So uh, I'm very happy, and so I began my uh, career at uh, L'Oréal. So after at the MIE, I went to the internship for six months. Um, I was on the indirect purchasing in Paris. Um, so I spent six months over there. Everything was uh, wonderful. And I got an opportunity to work on the direct side uh, of purchasing for L'Oréal. Um, so that's the I, best uh, side, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's what people say. Yeah, I do, I do feel the same, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I worked at L'Oréal in Paris in the direct side. I began my career as a buyer. Um, it's funny because I like to say I started to buy lipstick instead of doing rocket, you know, in the, in the, in the yeah. aerospace. So, um, you know, a little bit of a parallel between my both, uh, uh, study of field, but, uh, I, um, I was a buyer for three years, uh, in Europe. And then I, I had a chance to, uh, go in the U.S., uh, for, uh, um, L'Oréal again. And I became, um, regional category manager. So my role was expanding, you know, in, uh, in, in scope. Were you in charge of a particular commodity or group of products when you moved to the US? Yes. So I, um, so I should have said that. Yes. So in, in Europe, I was in charge of the lipstick category uh, as a, for new product. Uh, as a launch buyer. Um, and then in the US, I became category manager. And so I had different community. Most likely I was managing the makeup categories. So it's like a uh, plastic, uh, you know, makeup product. They are made of plastic. I was in charge of the packaging. Um, so purchasing packaging for makeup. Uh, so multiple categories. Okay. Where, where are you based? 
in uh, New York City? I was based in, uh, well, not so fancy, you know, I was based in New Jersey, uh, you know, and so when I, uh, when I had to, to commute for New York, people were asking me like, where you come from? And I was like from New Jersey. So that was, you know, not the best uh, uh, sign, but yes, I was based in, uh, in New Jersey for uh, those three years, yes. Because L'Oreal is very uh, famous, not only for the brands, but as well in the purchasing community as being really advanced in how they manage their suppliers, their commodities. What do you feel you learn the most there? I think when you, I, I think um, I really learned, you know, uh, how to uh, manage vendors, how to negotiate. Um, you, you learn a lot during your, your, your uh, um, you know, like at the MIE, we learn a lot, the theory and everything. But I think going through L'Oreal, France and the U.S., it's really like helped me to structure my uh, my way to work, gaining some self-confidence, of course. You learn a lot of, uh, because you are having the chance to work with the best expert in the world from a, from a technical standpoint. So I developed uh, all my knowledge into the uh, uh, plastic industry. Um, I learned, you know, how the mold functions, how do you inject pieces, like a lot of technical things. Um, so I learned uh, pretty much everything I know, you know, uh, for the six first years in, uh, in what I do today. Yeah. Mm, super cool. And uh, so you worked uh, almost six years or seven years over there, right? Yeah, six years, like, uh, yeah, like almost six years, uh, three years in France and two years and a half, almost three in, in the US. And uh, then you decided to uh, go on the other side of uh, the US, right? On the West yes, Coast? Yes, absolutely. Well, yes. And yeah, I had, it's for family reason. Yes, I had opportunity. We had opportunity to move uh, to uh, the West Coast. And so, uh, you know, I was... Uh, wondering like what am i going to do after l'oréal you know you when you work in this uh, in this company you you feel there is no nothing outside and so uh, i had the opportunity to do like uh, something different so working for a, a a subsidiary a small startup of the lvmh group based in san francisco um so oh, still in beauty um and I, my my role was uh, it was a challenge because I had two things to do. One was to structure the the purchasing department, so create everything, um, and uh, also to restructure the project management department that was uh, already existing. The company was a uh, small one. It was uh, at the time I think we were maybe like I think it was 80, 80, 80 people overall. So you know pretty uh, lean organization. So uh, so yeah, I joined in twenty. In, 2016 i believe uh, end of 2016 and so uh, so here i began you know to uh, develop uh, everything i had to do and so you were the purchasing manager how did you manage to structure the team and to hire so on the project management side i had to uh, hire the right people to develop the project management department uh, i had also to find the right uh, tools because we were working with excel files as you can imagine and so we had to uh, at the time find out what what would be the best tools same for the purchasing. It was even more work for purchasing because before the purchasing was not made, there was no professional purchaser. There was only like the internal stakeholders. They were doing their own purchasing. They were, uh, you know, planning the, the everything based on what they needed to do, but there was no purchasing functions per se. So uh, I had to uh, structure, I had to explain. I think the most difficult things I had to do was coming from L'Oréal where everybody knew what was the purchasing team. You know, you had a lot of recognition as a purchaser into the group. You are you are part of the operation. You are like uh, uh, known by your vendors, and you you come to this this company where nobody knows what you do, who you are. Um, 
they don't want to uh, spend time with you. The supplier doesn't know you. So the, 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 the difficult part was very much to gain credibility in front of your internal stakeholder, in front of your supplier, explain your role. I probably spent and tried to spend probably six months to, uh, you know, explain my role and what benefit I could, I could give them. Um, that was, yeah, probably the, the biggest challenge I had. The other challenge I had to do, to go and to face was the, the, uh, tendency to try to apply the recipe that was successful at L'Oréal in a big, you know, in a bigger corporation, trying to apply the same recipe, way to work, mindsets, processes, trying to apply those recipes in a smaller structure. So that was, that was honestly, I probably had the biggest fail in all my whole career. After six months, when I realized that after six months where I had no credibility, nobody was listening to me and I was not at all where I wanted to be. And so what changed? Well, it was like, uh, you know, uh, you have to do your self-assessment. So I had to, uh, you know, start from scratch. Um, I pref I plan what I did actually, what was probably the biggest uh, thing I decided to do was to uh, uh, probably to tackle three things I wanted to do and do it well, instead of doing like 25 things you have to do, because when you have to build everything, you can be very quickly lost. So I decided, okay, you know what, I will try to do three things and I will do it well and the rest will wait. I also... Uh, took the time to uh, analyze who was the key stakeholders I needed to convince. There was so many functions as a purchaser, you have to work, as you know, with, you know, like uh, product development, packaging, legal team, um, QA, suppliers, they are part of the supply chain, many, many functions. So I had to decide not only three things to do, but also three persons to convince and to gain trust. And so that's what I did. So, and I can give you a, a, an example. I had at the time, we had a, a gloss uh, that we launched and uh, we were behind capacity, always running after capacity, and we were not having the right margin from this product. So I spent a lot of time to, of course, negotiate cost. So doing cost savings analysis, you know, and negotiating with vendors uh, capacity agreement. When I got those things done, the results came where I improved by two points the margin of the product. I was able to secure capacity. And so my internal stakeholders, you know, on the on the uh, the brand side uh, and on the product development side, they, they for the first time saw that I could be useful for them. So little by little, they gave me more like freedom. They trusted me. They shared with me, you know, oh, okay, here are the suppliers we like. Here is what we want to do in the future. And the more I gained, you know, visibility on what they wanted to do, I could develop my plan and Of course, you know, the more I was showing to the executive team what the plan could be and the savings could be, I gained more resources. And that was now the beginning of my uh, positive circle, you know, instead of like in, the, in this vicious circle I was yeah. in before. So when you started that, how many team members did you have? So I started myself. So on the, on the purchasing side, I had three project managers when I began. After the five years, I had 10 on the project management side. And uh, when uh, I, uh, and we had like, uh, uh, we moved from Excel to a Smartsheet to manage the project. And on the purchasing side, we were to myself and we were around 10 as well. So uh, to manage all the brand. Um, and I structure basically the teams by brand, you know, like, um, because they are very specific, even though it's under the same roof, it's the holding, but the brand are very specific with DNA, specific way to work, teams, product and everything. So It was, yeah. it was a structure my brain. Okay. And so you mentioned three things. So one thing was cost reduction, capacity management. What was the third one? And I think the last one was, uh, I think it was about the cost stability. Uh, I'm trying to make sure. I know there was, there was definitely cost stability. So uh, yeah, I think it was cost stability where basically before, because we did not have buyers, uh, the vendors would uh, get you know one foot into the door and uh, they would price low sometimes. And then they will increase price and you have no control on what's happened. So one of my, uh, 
my my role as well and it was definitely at the end especially right now um it was the, the goal of, of purchasing was to ensure we can have some we can see forward looking you know and 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 try to minimize the the cost uh, impact for financial so definitely like negotiating long term you know aging on materials uh, negotiating long terms uh, improvement process to avoid those uh, in cost increase was a big win for us for the yeah. financial yes and so did you spend a lot of time training your team members and how did you find the, the right fit so absolutely and that, so that was probably the so after i gained trust from the internal team as i said And I get the green light to start hiring people. So that's the first, the first phase. When you join a company like that, a startup, and you want to scale up the, the group, you have to gain the, the trust and gain the, you know, the, the resources. So now when you, when you can start to hire, that's the, the challenge number two. So the challenge was high for three reasons. One, because as you know, in San Francisco, the talents, uh, are very expensive. That's the first thing I have to say. It's definitely not the same way as working, for example, in Paris. Um, so it's extremely expensive. Also, you probably know, but the industry I'm working in, so the beauty industry, um, supply chain people, uh, operation people, there, it's not really in San Francisco that you have the, the biggest uh, pool of talent. You have a lot in, on the East Coast and on other states where it's much more manufacturing, where, you know, like uh, the, the Bay Area is more like a tech company and pharmaceutical. So the challenge was, again, like find the right people. So, uh, and, and convince them to join, you know, the, the journey. And so I tried for months to recruit the, the perfect candidates, people who know the industry, people who are from the industry, three, five years of experience, you know, and, And I fail again because, of course, it was not feasible. So the other option I had to do, which I changed my gears, was to train the people. So you have to take people almost fresh from college and people who are just like, you know, like uh, willing to learn, um, people who are very curious and smart. And you will try to, you need to shape them the way you want them to work and perform for the organization. So that's what I had to do at the beginning. Of course, I had, I was lucky enough to find one or two people that was, that became eventually after those years, my, my, uh, my right hand, you know, and left hand, if I can say. But overall, the rest of the people, yes, we had to train them and to develop the, them to perform and thrive into the organization. Okay. And so you, you said that you structured the, um, The, the team by brand. What kind of technologies or uh, specialties do they have? So we, so by brands, uh, then I had to structure basically. So you have to have most likely, we are purchasing three things, most likely. There was a, a lot of uh, category uh, to purchase, but three main ones. You had packaging, you had uh, uh, subcontracting, uh, the service uh, and the raw material. So basically I had to train those people to become not the uh, absolute expert, But to have some uh, uh, enough some enough knowledge to work in the packaging industry, so either like and and packaging is very wide, right? It's uh, plastic, metal. There is a lot of decoration techniques, so it's it's a very wide and complex industry. Then there is the subcontracting, so it's most likely how understand how a factory functions. How do you make product? How do you how do you you know uh, how do you make the, how what's the chemistry? Uh, from the get-go, how do you develop a formula? What are the what are uh, ingredients used into a formula? How do you make product? How you how you feel assemble, and most likely how do you ship? So the whole factory management was something they had to uh, to uh, basically uh, uh, learn. And then there was the the raw material, like buying some raw material again. Like uh, it's 
without becoming chemist, but uh, it was uh, having a minimum understanding on how it works to deal with those uh, those suppliers. Yeah, for a startup, I'm a little bit surprised that you went so deep into the cost breakdowns of uh, the products. Usually, startups, they start with a contract manufacturer or an external manufacturing company, right? And uh, they are really dependent on whatever costs they are willing to uh, make the product for, uh, except for the formulas that... Uh, Absolutely. No, no. And, and you are totally right. When I joined, uh, I know everything was most likely done turnkey. So you basically buy one product and you, you uh, brand the product and that you develop, of course, but you work in, you, you co-develop, if I can say product, but you buy turnkey. So the vendor will sell you the formula, the packaging, everything. But, but the, 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 the added value of the, of the, the purchasing department, uh, at least in my industry, is very much to give some cost benefit. And the way to make a cost improvement is also to gain control into your supply chain. So, you know, you, the more you destructure the, 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 per, the way you purchase, the more you gain value. After, of course, you have to find the right balance. If you go rogue and you try to buy everything on turnkey when, when you were buying everything turnkey, it's not sustainable. So we had to decide what, are, what were the category we wanted to be. We, we were the best with volume. So you have to have uh, units. Uh, where do we want to control our supply chain? Where do we want to really improve our uh, margin? And then you would focus on those categories. For the rest, smaller category where you want to still play, but we want to just you know, make, make sure we have product on the market Um, basically, the split to market is the objective. We were not going non-turnkey, and this is why you know one of the key mission as well of purchasing, and that's what I learned at at, um, at L'Oréal very well. You know, it's uh, having uh, clear objectives in mind when you develop purchasing is key, and objectives that would also uh, uh, speak to the internal stakeholders. So I know at L'Oréal we had developed like uh, six key pillars. You know, uh, uh, I think it was five or six. I forgot a long time ago, but we developed those pillars and. So quality, cost, cost performance, uh, uh, service rate, uh, innovation, and uh, you, you're gonna, you were, we were having like um, I think sustainability. So you have all those objectives as a purchaser that you could do. But from a business standpoint, what are the most critical objectives? So this is what we did uh, again at Kendo. We had to review by brands uh, because different brands with different price points, a different uh, customer as well, doesn't have the same wish. So a lower price point will want to have like better cost, um, you know, and, uh, and, and their volumes. Uh, so you have to secure capacity, not the same. So you have to have a good uh, service rate. So not the same, uh, I would say objective compared to a luxury brand where you have a higher price point. So you can have more leverage to do, uh, Uh, more things because you have more margin, but you have to also fulfill other objectives. So, uh, you know, this is very much the way uh, uh, it became clear that also having clear goals was a priority. And how did you go from having, you know, like those suppliers and, and finding new ones that could help you scale up? That was also a, a very good, very big challenge. Uh, as I said, I like to say I, I kept making mistakes, but this is very true. I mean, you learn by making mistakes. So I, uh, you know, first reaction I had was, uh, as we say in French, uh, uh, reflex de Pavlov. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you basically trying to uh, apply again the same recipe uh, using the same supplier I know um, with the, uh, the the startup company. Uh, and so so it was uh, it was not really well working because again when you are a smaller company you expect uh, different things a you don't have like the same structure from the other group even the other uh, departments are not as structured you may not come up with I'm giving you a very clear example uh, at L'Oréal at L'Oréal you want to uh, launch for example like a mascara 
you have like a, a lot of engineers who will develop drawings, specification, and you will find the right supplier to, to make your, your mascara, uh, your packaging. Uh, when you are in a smaller structure, you may just have people who design a mascara, but they won't be able to do, develop some uh, Katia or some uh, technical drawings. So you need to have people who can advise you from a technical standpoint based on your wish, on your, you know, kind of like drawings. Um, sometimes it was drawing on a corner of a table. Huh? So mm-hmm. you really have to uh, have people who can serve you in that way, not just execute, but who could be consultant, who could advise you what to do, you know, and, and that's not what everybody can do. Um, also, as a smaller company, you know, you don't have the same volumes. So you have to convince those suppliers to follow you and bet on the future. You have to get them on board with you and say, okay, yes, of course, today we don't make millions of units, but look at us as a potential to growth, you know? So, and, and that was a bet some supplier did and they were, they were, I'm, I'm glad they did it and they were now they are getting the fruit and the benefit of that. But that's the challenge also is to gain, get supplier who can follow you in this, uh, in this journey. Um, and one of the big learning I think I would, I would have to, to share is that the, the, the type of supplier, there is a profile. I find out a profile of supplier. I, I like to say that uh, was working very well with with the, the smaller company. It's the, 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 mid, the mid-size company for suppliers. So the big corporation, they were not the best to follow you for all the reasons I mentioned. The smaller, smaller supplier was not also always the best because they also don't have the structure to do what you need as a smaller company. They may not have the financials to uh, go with you and, and you know support some uh, massive launches you may want to do. Um, so the mid-size company were a very good, good uh, match. You know, like, and, I, and to give you some numbers, um, overall, I would say even suppliers who were having a turnover between um, 10 million to 200 million dollars were good in between uh, to support our growth and our, and our development. This is very true uh, that um, having a supplier that understands as well the limitations of the startup or the smaller company and that is willing to accompany you and to work with you is, uh, is fundamental. Um, and and I, I like to say, I like, I like to say just one more thing interesting is the, the you know, it's, it's a very good example. But again, I came from this big, big corporation, L'Oréal, where I, I wanted to apply my recipe. And, and we had, a, we were, we were planning to launch, uh, in multiple areas, multiple zones, you know, product and make product in different locations. So Europe, US, and Asia. So of course, what I want to apply when I joined from L'Oréal is like, okay, I'm going to find a supplier. And it was for labels at the time. So I want to find a supplier who can make labels into the three locations. So it's a perfect plan, right? Because you can make local, speed to market, cost efficient. The thing is, uh, because we had the, the people we had, we are not, uh, you know, as uh, I would say processed oriented as L'Oréal. The supplier I planned to use was completely lost into demand. They were getting uh, email from our development, our packaging, our quality. It was a total disaster. So again, we had to go. I had to go back and find a supplier, a local supplier, able to handle the flow of requests by email with not really coordination, sometimes contradictory information. So it's also this side I feel interesting to say is when you want to develop a business for a smaller uh, startup, you have to consider that the supplier also on his side have to be able to handle this heavy lift you know, and, and absorb this uh, chaos. It's an organized chaos, I would say. And uh, you're talking about processes. Can you tell us a little bit about how you manage not only to structure the team, but then the processes, maybe the performance KPIs as well uh, in, in your team? Yeah, sure. Um, so processes, it, it, basically, you have to build everything from scratch. So we had to... Uh, um, we had to basically organize the data. So data, there is data. When you start on a startup, there is data everywhere. The challenge is to get access to the data, to understand if the data are trustable, 
like where is the source of truth? Because you gain data from everywhere. Pricing, you get pricing from the development team, from the finance team. Nobody, no, nothing match. So how do you, as a, as a purchaser, how do you try to gain to gain some, you know, like uh, good data? So basically, what I would, what we had to do was to um, gain the it, and most likely about the pricing first. We had to uh, go back to our supplier, ask the pricing on every product we launched because not every project had a uh, costing, you know, uh, clear costing. So we had to ask the supplier to rebuild all the cost breakdown. Well, actually, cost first. Cost breakdown came after, you know, the request, of course. Uh, and, and when people have, are used to work without cost breakdown, you know, they are like, why do you ask me that? Why do you bother me? So they try to go by the windows, you know, and so to reach out to <laughs> the product development team. So this is where the trust, by the way, is key because they're redirect to you. So uh, cost breakdown was key, you know, to structure the, the request for price. Um, you had to also develop the RFI to the RFI uh, form because you work with new supplier and that's also funny in, in the in the startup mode not only the business inflates but the number of suppliers tend to inflate so as a purchaser and you learn that you know at school you are like no no I want to rationalize my, rationalize my suppliers but this is where if you try to do that in a startup mode people will say to you oh you try to uh, minimize my creativity if you do that so how do you make sure people have access to enough uh, creativity innovation without going rogue and that's where some tools you learn at school could be uh, useful when you try to develop for example you show them the Pareto uh, matrix you show them that in the end everything they do 80% of what they do is done with 20% of suppliers that's you know something factual that you can show them and wow they are like oh okay uh, and that's where you have to be also flexible so you say hey let's work for 80% of your work with those suppliers and we develop contract we develop cost breakdown we develop processes and the 20, 20 extra percent, you can be free, granted that you, uh, with us, you know, vet those suppliers. So um, all those processes, as I said, were uh, to be yeah built from scratch. Uh, capacity as well, capacity form. We had nothing to track capacity. The, the usage of the tools that we buy as well, you have to track the usage of the tools. Uh, you know, stock agreement, uh, pricing agreement, I could go over and over. But basically, nothing was existing. So we had to structure... Uh, scorecard results, performance scorecard. You even have to develop KPIs. You know what do you want to track? So all of that have to be developed from the from the from the ground up. You you said that purchasing or the team that you created had then a lot of credibility in the in the company. Can you tell about how you could uh, defend the mission of purchasing into the global picture of the company strategy? I think I think honestly it's uh, it was uh, especially when you are in. The Virgin territory, if I can say, uh, when you have like a startup, the the biggest I, I find out that the, the the best way to convince people is to talk to the wallet. So meaning like when you bring savings, everybody is listening to you. So you know like there is nobody who can push back when you bring savings. So uh, the key, of course, is not just to to uh, make up savings. It's to make sure you align with finance. This is why they were one of my partners to ensure that the way you look at savings is really the way they look at things as well. Because if you say I saved 20% on cost and we save $100,000, uh, it doesn't make any sense if finance doesn't see that. So you had to also like connect with finance from the get-go. So I was looking at, okay, how do we uh, look at what are the rules you know, uh, uh, in finance, in accounting, and how do you make sure you align with them on processes? And so, yeah, that was the big way to be listened by the teams. It was to definitely uh, do big projects on cost savings, uh, margin improvements. And you see it very di directly. And it's funny, it reminded me... Uh, one thing that uh, I learned, I mean, at the MIE, uh, I, we heard that many times, but uh, increasing sales requires effort. You have to increase a lot, spend a lot of money to increase sales. Cutting cost basically is pretty straightforward and you see the effect on the PNL right away. 
when you save one box, you save one box on your PL. So this is where you know you uh, you uh, and, and in contrary, when you improve your uh, revenue by one dollar, you only get a penny of this dollar. So this is why you know people also realize the value of purchasing by the uh, effect they could have on the PL. The other thing was definitely the uh, access to uh, a more stable supply chain supply. You know, especially right now with the time we are in, it's a critical things to get supply. You know, to your uh, organization and. I think they realize how important it is to create those connections, not only just the product development team, the creative team who work on the, uh, with, with their partner on the supplier side, but it's creating those partnerships, those strong relations with the, the supplier on the factory. So they will prioritize your order. They will make extra work for uh, rushing some raw material. So all those things are ensuring that your supply chain keep you know, running even through those disruptions. So that's another value of, of purchasing. Yeah. And so for, during the five years you were at, the company increased or grew dramatically, right? Yes, it was like uh, unbelievable when I joined and, and I saw the double digit growth. That's, uh, and you know, this is what you find out in this situation where the business grow, but the uh, purchasing, you know, is uh, basically, uh, it was nowhere when I, when I joined, but basically how do you, how do you cover the gap between what the business needs and where, and where you are? And that was the, you know, it's a race. So you have to try to scale up, uh, following up the business and you don't want to become the limitation. If you become the limitation, the bottleneck, that's the worst. That's where you basically lose the trust and losing trust means less resources and you can do less. So this is what you want to avoid absolutely. So we come back to what I said before. Gaining trust was the key. So definitely a challenge that we were adding some new brands, licensing new brands, purchasing new, uh, you know, acquiring new brands. So yeah, it's, uh, and especially when you are in the, in, in startup, but the startup was part of a big corporation as well. LVMH. So, you know, they have also, uh, they know what they do. And so you have to uh, keep up, you know, you definitely have to deliver the results. So that was a big challenge. Yes. Yeah. I heard through the grapevine that um, now you're onto a new challenge, right? Yes, absolutely. So I, uh, as I said to you, you know, I began uh, learn a lot on the big uh, corporation at L'Oréal, very good school, the best, uh, with the best people, smart people. I moved to this uh, role where I had to build everything. And so the question I was wondering myself, after those five years after I scaled up most likely uh, the organization, I could decide, do I want to, you know, like keep growing and, and, and thriving into this uh, becoming new company? A big company, you know, or do I want to start again to to start from scratch? And I find out that I love to create things from the from the ground up. I love it, you know. I like those challenges when it's the total chaos, but I wanted to do it at, on the bigger scale than just uh, purchasing and and uh, product management. So now I'm structuring the operation, the entire operation of of a company. We are based in LA. We are in beauty and wellness. So again, like a new side of the business I didn't know before, wellness. So it's uh, extremely extremely uh, exciting. What are you managing beyond uh, purchasing? Well, basically, I do uh, so purchasing, supply planning, packaging, quality, uh, project management, uh, and all the inbound freight. So everything, basically. Uh, okay. Yeah. And so you're starting exactly the same, like uh, building the team and the processes and... Same, uh, I, I don't want to say same recipe because, but, but yes, like same kind of mindset. Uh, granted that there is a big difference is that this time it's not a company part of a bigger corporate, a French corporation. So I also have to adapt to a different culture and way to do things. Um, you know, and, uh, but, but overall there is some similarity. Yes. Some, some, I, I can definitely use some of my previous uh, failure to do better this time, hopefully. <laughs> so what are the other lessons learned that you want to share with the auditors? Well, I, I want to say that uh, uh, 
especially maybe to the to the to the folks that listen to us at uh, at school you know at the MIE I want to say that first of all it's a, it's a, it's an amazing like uh, chance to begin because the MIE is a, is a big card to play uh, it, it's opening like a huge opportunities on the industry recognized by a lot of companies so this was like probably the best so my advice is definitely like try to get the best uh, out of this this uh, this this class and uh, and make you develop your network networking is also a big thing that you will need you don't realize how you will need that in the future um, the other the other thing i would say and to me was key is uh, making the big jump and getting the opportunity to go uh, you know like uh, abroad so leaving uh, friends to try not maybe not 10 years like i'm, I'm doing right now but but at least having some experience uh, uh, you know in, uh, in another country is good because it puts you under like a tough spot to learn to work on different culture way to work communicate and lead. So I think it's something I definitely suggest the, the young generation should do. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this um, interview and for explaining uh, your journey and uh, the tips on how to scale. Um, that was very uh, interesting. No, and thank you so much, uh, Sophie. That was great to have you. Uh, you know, it's funny that we uh, keep having those conversations from LA to San Francisco. That's, yeah. uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye.